even when after the restaurant, after we separated, we both wanted to get back together. And so we managed to fight for that together, to get back together. And things were going great after that. And then we literally come out here and, and I lost everything in that moment. Hello, and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. Welcome to episode number 12 of How to Fail Successfully. My very first guest of 2018 is a good friend of mine. His name is Tom Massman, and Tom is on the hit show Scorpion on CBS. He is a stunt double, body double, and now has a small role as Tom Foolery. In this episode, we will discuss Tom's start as a as a producer and a and a director in commercials in Colorado. And then he makes the move to Los Angeles to pursue uh, acting and writing. We will discuss some of the uh, ups and the downs along the way. Uh, there's a, a w- one part in the second half of this interview where we do get a little bit emotional uh, due to a loss that was uh, in his life. And um, I did ask Tom permission if we can talk about that ahead of time. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being insensitive by bringing it up, but I also wanted to make sure that his words and his encouragement could help anybody who's who's going through something similar to that or has experienced that. Uh, and so that's what we get to on the second half of this interview. But this is my conversation with Tom Massman. Enjoy. Okay, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's it's always fun to be able to, to have a conversation with you uh, that doesn't revolve around politics. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, so <laughs> before, before we get into the, and I promise anybody listening, this is not going to be a political conversation. We will avoid that <laughs> subject at all costs. So uh, before we begin, though, kind of let us know what you're working on now. Uh, right now, I am currently a stuntman and uh, have a reoccurring role on the television show Scorpion, where I play Thomas Foolery, uh, yes. which is, uh, if anybody's watching the show, that's Sylvester's, one of Sylvester's buddies from the uh, Warlock's Chest comic book store. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there awesome. we go. Awesome. So uh, Cool. Yeah. So I stand in for him. I'm photo double for him. And then I also do... Um, uh, this recurring role. That's great. Now we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to get to the how you how you sort of got to that point. I know that it's been a journey for you, and you've <laughs> you've had a, a full life of, of exciting things. And what I would like right. to do though is let's kind of go back to let's go back to the beginning a little bit. If you can kind of tell okay. us what was sort of your first venture into. Um, I mean, how did you get into to film the film industry? Well, um, it kind of came in different phases. I started off as an actor, and I guess that goes back to when I was a kid. I it's funny because I was talking to my mom about this the other day, um, and there isn't any time that she remembers or that I remember that I didn't want to be an actor um, or working in this industry. And so, 
I kind of started with the acting thing and, you know, like everybody, I started doing plays in school and the first play I had, talk about failure. The first play I had, I was, I played a, a lamb in a Christmas, um, pageant kind of thing for my elementary school and yes. my ears kept falling off. So, <laughs> you know, awesome. My ears kept falling off and then I thought for sure that was it. I was a complete failure in life at, at age seven. So, but that just kind of, you know, it kind of progressed and I went through high school and, and did those things. And um, then I started getting, uh, I started noticing, I worked on uh, a couple films um, and some television shows uh, back in the 80s. And I started noticing that there was a lot of people that were working on the other side of the camera that were constantly working. And I, as an actor, was not. You know, <laughs> it's very difficult to make it. You've got to have the tenacity and the drive. And, and even then, it's just, you know, economically, it's really tough to make it, you know. So I decided to switch gears and move to behind the camera, even though I loved working in front of the camera. So... I started working as a PA and I never gave up and you know, what, I learned a, on the job. What does a PA mean? Oh, ah, yes. A production assistant. There you go. Okay. And what do they do? Uh, pretty much. It, it's, it's pretty much, and I hear the, the laughter in your voice. Cause you know, it's like a gopher. It's everything <laughs> you do. Everything. Uh-huh. If the star wants a Coke, you go get him a Coke. If the, you know, if the director wants, you know, ketchup on his hash browns, you bring him ketchup and then you're kind of learning how the business, you know, is, is how it works. And it's, you know, and there's a lot of failure in that too, because you don't know what you're doing and you're, you know, they expect that, but, um, you feel like a total idiot. There's also levels of PA, right? There's a first PA, a second PA, and it kind of progress. Is that correct? Well, in some places, yeah. Uh, mostly it's just the PAs and then you start going into AD work. So okay. you've got, there's like a, there usually is a first PA or what they call a key PA um, on set and who's kind of in charge of all of the PAs. And that's a very stressful job okay. because again, you've got people, you know, and if they're interning, you sometimes you have students from film schools who are interning. And so they have no clue what's going on. And and think it's the same as when they worked on their high school plays, you know, and on stage. And it's totally different ballgame. My way up from PA into being a grip. And then uh, I did gripping for a while, which gave me a lot of good insight into equipment and everything. And, and, and sorry, because some of these terms are, are not familiar with everybody. A grip is? A grip is the guy who is pretty much, they're the handyman of the, of the set. They do everything. They you know, and depending on how intricate it gets, like out here in Hollywood, you know, you have your grips break down into lighting grips and then you have your, you know, your dolly grips and you have, so, uh, mm-hmm. but grip in general is just kind of like the worker bee. They, they have the knowledge, they know the equipment, they're setting up the uh, more, I'm sorry, more, more flags and what they what they call flags. Um, they're setting up all the equipment that makes the shot. So if you see these cool shiny boards or whatever, you know, that's, that's their job to set everything up for the shot. So I did gripping. And then from gripping, I kind of started falling into, um, my own production work, uh, doing little production stuff on, you know, short films and all of that. And, uh, did some local access. And then, um, from there, I got a job working at a local television station where I was, you know, I'd been working by this time. I'd been in the business for, you know, 10, 15 years and um, started working as a producer 
and uh, a director uh, at the local television station for the production department, which pretty much every television station has a production mm. department. Um, and then, uh, you know, that, that was a really good gig. I had that for a while and loved it. And what was your claim to fame while working there? You know, I, I had a, I had a few, probably the, the two biggest ones for me. Um, I did, I had this, uh, local auto dealer, Southwest motors in Pueblo, Colorado. And I, I played this kind of this, uh, slick kind of this, you know, this, used car salesman on these commercials and we did one and there was such a huge success from them that we ended up doing like, I think it was like 30 or 40 of these commercials with this guy. Um, so that was probably my, my biggest one. Um, and then I wrote, produced, directed, and actually starred in those too. Wow. So it was a huge undertaking. And thankfully I had a really good editor, uh, Darren Clevenger, who was in Colorado. Now he's in Michigan. So if there's anyone out there in Michigan who needs an editor, that's the guy. Yes. Guy is incredible. Anyway. So, uh, we worked together for many, many years. Um, then the, the bottom kind of fell out when we had the recession and all the jobs were going away and we ended up, uh, I, at one point I was, I had a team of, of six people in the, in my team and that whittled down to just Darren and I, and they wanted to get rid of Darren, who I, you know, I, I fought for him tooth and nail because that was just, uh, you know, it was, it was imperative that he was there because he was actually putting this puzzle piece together that I was doing. And he was key in that. Mm-hmm. And um, so they kept him on for a while and then things were just getting so bad and they were cutting things so bad that I couldn't turn out quality anymore. And I had to make a really hard decision to leave the, the television station. Um, but it opened another door, you know, which was out here in Los Angeles. So in 2007 to yeah. eight, right? That's when the recession you're talking about. Right. Okay. Right. They cut staff. You make the decision to leave. Why go to Los Angeles? You know, at that point, I'd kind of done as much as I could in Colorado. And uh, so I knew that if I wanted to take my career to the next level, I had to get back into film and television and try and make a go at it. And this time around, I figured, you know, I've done the production thing, um, got beat up quite a bit during that. I wanted to try and get back into acting and back into, you know, other things. Um, so, yeah, so I took a big gamble and, and, you know, my wife at the time, um, she was very, very supportive and uh we moved out here and if it hadn't been for her i never would have been able to do all of this you know because she was she was the (laughs) she had a really good job and had you know the the wherewithal to kind of get us through those lean months years (laughs) she she was the breadwinner she was the breadwinner there yeah there's no other way of saying it Uh yeah yeah he was he was doing that and, and it was but you needed that you, you know, know you needed that to be able to take that risk and uh i did i did and uh you have to take risk you yeah. know if you that's what life is all about you know if you're not taking risk you're not challenging yourself every day you become stagnant and you start hating yourself and hating life and you know not feeling like you're here for a purpose um so you have to take risk that's what everything's about in life you arrive in Los Angeles, and the first week you're there, you get cast on Scorpion. Is that right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. 
No, so what, what happens? I arrived in Los Angeles <laughs> and uh, I, um, you know, I, I did the same thing everyone else did. I signed up and went to central casting and was doing extra roles. And, you know, pretty soon that led to stuff I did. Um, I was working on uh, how I worked on how I met your mother, um, uh, two broke girls, uh, you know, on and on and on. But they were just, you know, these featured roles, featured extra roles. And then that kind of led to speaking roles. And I did a movie with uh, Karen Black and with Stacy Keach out here, um, Booga Booga, which is a weird movie. Anyway, <laughs> did that. Um, that was my first real paid SAG gig out here. Mm. And so that's when everything started changing for me. It was a really horrible, horrible, and I, well, for me, it wasn't the best movie choice <laughs> that I made. Um, but he's, he's got, Charles Band has got some awesome, awesome flicks, Puppet Master and all of that. It's just the content of this one was a little hard for me because of the role I had to play. What was that role? Kind of a strung out um, drug dealer who lived in a mobile home, very racist and very, um, just a jerk of all, you know, just a jerk. And then I had one scene where I was involved in a rape. And so it was, it was hard. It was a really difficult role to do. And, um, at that point I kind of was feeling pretty, pretty low by the time I ended that. And then what happened after you got done filming that role? How did that open up more doors for you? Well, it, it started opening doors and the fact that people saw who I was now and I was getting phone calls and then I would do a commercial here and there and then I would do another television show. And so that just kind of all just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then um, my career was starting to take off. And by starting to take off, I should clarify, that means out here starting to take off means you're doing more than one audition a day. <laughs> so, yes. You yeah. know, um, but it doesn't mean anything else. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was doing okay, but the money still wasn't coming in. And so I got a call from central casting saying, Hey, you know, we've got this new show that, um, is just starting up on CBS called Scorpion. And, uh, they want you to, you know, be a stand in for this, for their, one of their top characters is top six cast. Um, Sylvester. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And they're like, you know, it's probably not going to be an ongoing thing. It'll probably only be for a week and then you're going to be done. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Cause then I can focus on my career. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, four years later, <laughs> everything changed. I started off doing the, the stand in stuff, which led to stunt work. Uh, the guy looked so much like the character of Sylvester that the stunt coordinator asked me jokingly if I had ever done stunts before, which I had on uh, some, several films earlier when I was a kid. And he goes, Hey, do you, would you like to do it again? I'm like, sure. You know, bigger paycheck. Who would say no to that? And I should mention that at this time, if I, I called my agent and told her that I was taking this job, and she said, if you take that job, we're going to drop you. And I was Why? like, what? Because they wanted me to go out on all these auditions that they oh. can get their stuff. And they figured this was going to be a dud, you know, deal and it wasn't going to work. And so 
So I'm like, well, I, I really need the cash. I need to get out there. You know, and the only way for me to do this is to do this show. And they said, if you take this show, we're going to drop you. Hmm. So I took the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Obviously, because, you know, yeah. You get, yeah, you get to that point where it's that fight or flight. Either you, you know, start contributing or I knew if I didn't start making some money somewhere, I was going to have to go back to Colorado. And then just two years ago, uh, or last year, I guess it was last year, I transitioned into the recurring role. I actually did a small role as a bus driver that never aired and talk about feeling like a failure there. Holy cow. So they had too much time in the show that they had to cut. And unfortunately my role got cut, but the showrunner, the creator of the show loved my stuff and said, Hey, we're going to wait and find something that's going to be bigger for you and give you another role because it was really good. And so I was like typical of people to say that, but not carry through. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. Um, because you can't really ever count on somebody doing that because everybody says that. But he held it true to his word. Uh, Nick Santoro, who is the creator of Scorpion, you know, he held true to his word, brought me back in this great role of, of Tom Foolery, who is a guy who looks just like Sylvester and who was replaced. You'll have to watch the show to get the whole thing, but it was, it was really a cool fit. And now um, I was on, this is my, I just did my second one here a few episodes back. And so there'll be more of him to come in future episodes. Wow. That's so yeah. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And you were, it was great. They, people talk all the time about how, Oh, he's so lucky. And as the, as the saying goes, Oh my God. Preparation yeah. meets opportunity, right? You had That's prepared exactly many, right. many, many years on a lot of sets. So not only when you showed up as a body double, right? Mm-hmm. You knew how to conduct yeah. yourself on set because you've been on set many times before. Yeah. So you have to know that stuff. You've got to know those skill sets because if you walk onto a set and you don't know what you're doing, you don't get a second opportunity. Mm. You know, you've got to know what you're doing before you get there. And the only way to do that is to experience it. That's why whenever I, people always tell me all the time, well, gee, I want to come to Hollywood and I've never done anything before. What should I do? I'm like, don't come to Hollywood. No, <laughs> you know, you need to get as much experience as you can in your hometown doing, you know, commercials and getting to know the, what a mark is and getting to know all the slang terms. Pick up a DSLR and meet up with your friends and just create something, do something. First. Right. Which we did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, um, working with you was great. We, I had a, I made a, a, a video web, web series. See, I'm so old, you know, web series um, that uh, with, with uh, another friend of mine, um, you did the music for, which is how we met. Cue the background. Yeah, cue the background, right? And um, so, but you have to know all these things before you get in. So do as much as you can before you move here, because out here there's literally so much competition out here that if you don't know what you're doing, you'll be there for one day and you'll move on. You know, you've got to have that skill set down and know know the the terminology and the slang and the, you know, what, what it's like to work on a set so you can continue to work on a set and not just be a one hit wonder. And as a actor, producer, director, writer, 
it seems like that's what you kind of have to do these days if you want to <laughs> if you want to be continually working. You need to know all of those sides of the camera. Absolutely. And I think yep. being a director and, helps you become a better actor as well because you know what they're oh, looking absolutely. for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And vice versa, being an, a better yeah, better actor helps you to become a, a better director. And you know, the other thing I throw in there too is editing. Everybody now, if you're going to produce, you've got to know how to edit. Mm-hmm. Because it's no longer you're producing or directing. You are now a one-man band. And if you don't know how to light and if you don't know how to edit, um, it's going to kill you. Because everything is so low now. When I started doing commercials back in the 80s, a typical, you know, a big a local commercial would run, you know, five to $10,000 and up um, for a local. And now, you know, you you get these people hanging up a shingle, calling themselves a producer who basically just went to Walmart and got a camera and started shooting. And, you know, they're doing commercials for a hundred bucks and sometimes it really shows. And unless you have the knowledge and everything to back it up and the skill set to back it up, it's not going to, you're not going to last long. I like to tell people, if you are going to hire an artist, there's three things to choose from, and you ha- you can p- only pick two, right? Either you <laughs> right. can have it cheap, good, or fast. You can only pick two of those. Yep. <laughs> if yep, you want it so cheap true. and fast, it's not going to be good. <laughs> right. Right. You we know, talked about the, that. Yeah, and that's that's what <laughs> you see so often is that People are coming out saying, well, I'll do it. And now I'm also going to hedge that and saying that there's nothing wrong with working for free. And and, and there's nothing right. wrong with, with charging a price that's equivalent of what the, the quality is that you're going to give. Right. But right. also know as the person that's hiring them, you are going to get what you pay for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's why I think these those commercials that I had, uh, you know, what, the ones that we were talking about earlier, uh, the Southwest Motors were so popular and so big was the guy wasn't afraid to spend money. And I mean, he didn't go crazy. It's not like he spent like a bunch of money. He he spent more than the average commercial, which means that I had more to play with. So I brought that to the screen and it was a huge success for him. Other people go, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And then they're wondering why there's nobody coming into their shop. on this. Yeah. And then they just say, well, TV doesn't work. No, it's, who you hired, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm going to buy a $25 Facebook ad and, and why isn't anybody clicking on it? Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. That. Well, let's transition. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask sure. you a couple questions. If you okay. could give me your definition of failure. Oh, okay. So my definition of failure would be, um, cause everybody fails. If you're not failing at something, you're not trying to grow. Okay. So congratulations if you failed, because that means you tried to do something that, you know, isn't <laughs> what you typically do. Yeah. So it's a matter of what you do once you fail. It's a matter of, you know, there's that old saying of, it doesn't matter how many times you get hit and knocked down to the canvas. What matters is how many times you get up. Mm-hmm. And I buy in that 100%. If you learn from something, it's not a failure. If you were fired from your job because you really screwed up and you say to yourself, oh boy, okay, that was horrible. 
I know what not to do next time, then is it really a failure? Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you fail, and it's kind of what I really love about the title of, the, of your podcast is, you know, when you have the failure to success, it's like, you know, it, it, it's so true. I mean, you can fail all the, all the way up as long as you're learning from it. I mean, you look at anybody, you look at anyone throughout history who failed and who, who were big at what they did, they failed along the way. They failed if, and, if and they didn't up. stop. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's if you give up, that's my definition of a failure. Getting hit to the ground and then saying, okay, I'm done. That's a failure. That's a failure. It's, it's not getting up after you've been hit down to the ground. If we could, with that definition, I want to ask mm-hmm. you to share a personal story that you've had to experience that was that punch in the gut that you almost didn't get back up from. Well, there, was, there were three things that I really wanted to do with my life. Um, I wanted to be an actor always. I wanted to be a writer and write television and film. And I've wanted to own a restaurant Hmm. and I've accomplished all three of those things. Now, the biggest quote unquote failure I had was when I owned my restaurant and I had been, you know, I'm in this business. So of course you work in restaurants all your life, you know, but I, um, I had this small Italian place. It was going really well. Um, lying out the door, you wouldn't think this would be a failure story, but everything was going good, but it, it only had 10 tables. It was very small. And so with lines out the door and people not, not coming back because they could never get a table, I decided I'm going to go big. Well, but I'm going to go really big. So I ended up getting a place with over that sat over 200 people Wow! and it killed me. Um, we went, the big mistake is I went into a, I got talked into going into a um, hotel, which is bad in itself, working, you know, as a private restaurant in a hotel. Um, because for an Italian restaurant, they would want me to serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we were primarily a lunch and dinner place. Yeah. So I had to come up with all these breakfast ideas, but nobody was coming because number one, we were in the country. We were out in this, in Pueblo West and you know, which was a good eight, 10 miles from town where everybody worked. So they weren't coming in for breakfast. They weren't coming in for lunch. The only time they were coming in was for dinner and travelers, they were only there in the summer. So it literally killed the business. Um, I ended up in the hospital with exhaustion. I was working 20 hours a day. Um, and then when I was sleeping, I wasn't sleeping well because bigger restaurant, bigger money problems, uh, bigger overhead, more employees. It, it was just a nightmare. And it almost cost, cost me my life. And I, um, it, was, it was bad. It was really bad. And so that was probably, it was a complete failure. I lost my house. My wife and I separated for two years because of it. Um, And I was literally at the lowest point in my life I'd ever been. And I had one of two choices to make, either crawl out or stay there and die. 
All right, going to take a little break right here. On the second half of this conversation, we do dive into Tom's most recent uh, loss and and how he was able to get through that moment. In next week's episode, I interview Corey Conrad, Senior Director of Strategic Alliance and Entertainment at Caruso. Caruso owns one of my favorite properties, which is The Grove in Los Angeles, which is the number two most productive U.S. shopping center. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Enjoy. You know, I was, I was sleeping in the backseat of my Mercury Milan uh, in a grocery store parking lot, and I remember calling my parents and asking them if I could have money to pay for a hotel room. They said, we'll put money in your account, but that money can be spent on a plane ticket home to Northern Virginia. Wow. If you want, that's your option. If you want money, we'll give you money, but it's only for a plane ticket. Otherwise, you moved out there. It's your job to figure it out. You have a college degree. You have all the tools necessary. Just because you don't have money doesn't mean you don't have other tools. And crawling out looked a little harder to do than than the other, (laughs) you know. So what did you do? How did you, I mean, how did you bounce back from that? Number one, I had three kids. So I, you know, the idea of not being there for them was a strong motivator for me. And I also loved my wife. And so I wanted to get her back. And we, so it was a struggle. It was a real struggle. Um, I took a job at a pizza place making pizzas and working my way back up. Um, and then got back into doing production when I could afford to get, cause that's what I knew. That's what I really knew how to do. So I got a job. Um, I, I opened up my own production company. I had all the skill sets. I had all the, you know, the skills and the knowledge of how to do this, but not the money. So I worked two jobs to save up enough money that I could get all the equipment I needed to open up my production company. And so I had to battle my way back, but it was, it was tough. It was really tough. It was the lowest point in my life at that point, at that point. Um, I was trying to come back from that. Yeah. And what did you learn from your own resilience during that time that you were able to apply later in life? Wow. I, you know, honestly, I think it's just that whole never give up mentality, you know, and I kind of, I don't know for what, whatever reason it is that I was able to maintain that for it's for most of my life, because in this business too, as an actor, and I started acting when I was 16 and I never really gave up on that dream. You know, I never gave up on that. And I think that's probably the the goal is to have these dreams and have these goals and tell yourself you're going to achieve those dreams and goals no matter what and no matter what happens because if you don't have those things you're 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 not living again it's kind of goes back to that risk thing if you're not if you're just kind of standing in the in a pool you know versus getting into the flow of the river you're not you know it's comfortable in that little pool but it's not you're not living and you're not, you know, growing. And those goals are what keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. And you tell yourself, if you tell yourself you're going to do it, you do it. I've always had that. My dad put that in my head when I was a child. 
when you set out to do something, you do it. You do whatever it takes to get to what you want. You know, you, you work hard, um, not to the detriment of other people, but you work hard and you achieve whatever goal you have. And then when you reach that goal, you set another goal. Life is about goals, reaching goals and setting goals. We fast forward some years later and you had a, a personal tragedy in your life. I did. I did. You, uh, you don't need to discuss it if you don't want to. I feel like this, your That's story fine. is, is hopefully can be encouraging to someone else who has. Yeah. I don't mind through. at all. I don't mind at all. Can you share with us what that was? Yeah. Um, I had been working my whole life to get out here and, when my wife and I got married, we got married when I was very young. She was very young. We had kids right away. So I had to put all my, my Hollywood dreams away for a while. And when the kids all grew up and they moved away and they had their lives started, um, we and I was at this point where I had gone as far as I could. Uh, my wife gave up a really, really good job in Colorado uh, to come out here. Uh, with me so that I could achieve mine. And we were out here a year and I had just gotten Scorpion. I had worked on it for maybe four months, three months, something like that. And uh, one Saturday we were going to go have some breakfast right across the street from where we lived. And she had a headache, uh, sat down and the headache got more and more, you know, just increasingly bad. So I Turned, pulled out my phone, dialed 911, turned back to her, and she had died. She had a massive brain hemorrhage um, and literally passed away in my arms. Mm. And my whole world was gone. I mean, we, even when after the restaurant, after we separated, we both wanted to get back together. And so we managed to fight for that together, to get back together. And things were going great after that. And then we literally come out here and, and I lost everything in that moment. And that has been, that's always been a struggle for me that that was, it'll be three years in on January 24th. So it's coming up again. So, um, and then our anniversary would have been tomorrow. This is always a rough time of, yeah year for me Christmas without any family you know um, my wife's anniversary or our anniversary and then my wife's anniversary of her death uh, the following month so and then I lost my sister uh, a month after my wife died so so it was a hard time my world just totally crumbled at that point I mean how'd you get through that Grace of God. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, I had really good friends. Um, I had uh, people that could lift me up. I don't remember the first year, pretty much. That's how, where I was at. My, like I said, my whole world ended on January 24th. And I don't remember anything for a year. I remember bits and pieces. Somewhere in there, I moved. I barely remember moving. And if any of you have ever moved from one house to another, you know how stressful and how completely crazy it can get. 
I don't remember much of it. I remember putting a couple things in some boxes and I, I remember being there and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was pretty rough. And then I, I started drinking a lot more and so, which was bad. And so, cause at that point you kind of go, I don't care. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, and then it took, and then after that I had, uh, I got pancreatitis. So I had to, you know, stop the drinking and everything. And so it really was a turning point in my life again. It's like, okay, look, once again, you have a choice. You can either stay in the hole or you can dig yourself out. And even though staying in the hole is more comfortable, then you know you have to dig out or die, one of the two. Were you aware of that? Like, how long did it take you to get to that point where you said those Um, things? It took me a good four months, five months to go. I mean, I literally, I, I became a hermit. I didn't want to leave my house, which made it worse. Um, I became depressed and you get to a point when you start spending, you know, 10 hours in bed after you wake up that you go, this is just not going to sustain one, one of two things is going to happen. You either have to get, you know, get busy living or get busy dying as they, you know, as they said in uh, Shawshank redemption. And you had such a, a, a strong supporting uh, group around you, especially on the set of Scorpion. I mean, those guys absolutely rallied behind you. They were, they were amazing. They were amazing to me. Um, if it hadn't have been for them, I don't know what I would have done, to be real honest. And sometimes the alternative was looking a lot better than, you know. And they were the ones. I mean, they would call me up. The, the stars of the show would call me up and say, hey, we're we're in your neighborhood. We're going to bring you something to eat. You know, we're, we're here. We're going to take you out. We're, you know, my, my fellow stand-ins were you know, constantly there and constantly taking me out for coffee and, and having, you know, so they kind of built me back up. Then, um, I got to a point where I was thinking about returning to work and the stunt coordinator, Jim Vickers loved this guy. He's such an amazing man and such a great stunt coordinator. He called me up and he said, I hear you're going to, uh, you're thinking about coming back. I said, maybe. And he said, you want to do a stunt? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do. And honestly, this is weird, but so the stunt, okay. So I go back to work and the stunt involved getting into a fight with a guy and I jump on his back and it's this you know, big, big, huge Russian mobster, you know, and he's got to be at least six, seven, six, eight. And I think he actually played football before. Anyway, so we're tussling and tussling. And then we have to both go through this plate glass window onto the ground. So I was kind of in this haze fog up until this point, which, you know, again, had been several weeks before I returned to work and we do the fight scene. They say action. And we do this thing in this tussle and a tussle and we're rolling around and boom, we go through the window. From that point forward, I remember everything. Wow. If before wow. then I couldn't tell you anything. That was the most therapeutic. It was like, 
it was like somebody literally taking you, shaking you, slapping you and going, okay. And threw you through a window. (laughs) And threw me through a window, right. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Your mind does some bizarre things. (laughs) If, you know, if you could offer some words of advice for somebody that may be either going through the restaurant scenario or your personal, um, you know, through the death of a loved one, what would that advice be? You are not alone. Mm -hmm. You need to reach out though. I'm telling you, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances is are where you are at the bottom of the bottom and you feel like it's a chore just to make it to the next day. And believe me, I felt that way. There were many times I didn't even care if I'd make it to the next day. Reach out. There are people who want to help you. Whether that's, you know, I mean, I'll say it, it gets very depressing, but you've got to be able to reach out, talk to people, talk to someone you trust. Your friends are your friends because they're your friends. And I know that sounds kind of trite, but it's true. You know, unless they're fair weather friends who just are there and only want you for your money or your success or your whatever, fill in the blank. Your real friends are the ones who are going to come out. And it's bizarre how in both of those situations, there were people that I thought were like, yeah, okay, yeah, these are kind of my friends. And then I've got my really good friends. The people who were those kind of my friends in the woodwork, those are the ones who came out, yeah. who reached out every single time. Wow. That's how you know who your real friends are. But you've got to be able to get out and talk to them. You've got to be able to talk to somebody. Um, there's support groups on Facebook there's, you know, for everything that helped me a lot. So you, there's a lot of things that you can, you know, the big thing is, is you've got to reach out because you, you can't, you can't stay in the hole. You've got to reach your hand up and let somebody grab it. And until you do that, it's not, you, you are going to stay in the hole. You are not alone. It's, it's, that's beautiful. I, I almost don't want to ask any follow-up questions because that's that's enough. I mean, I love that. That's the whole purpose of this podcast is that you're not alone. Yeah, you know, you're not. You're not the only one. You know, everyone else is. A lot of other people have dealt with this. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, or worse. You bet. I'd like to ask, now that we've de- defined failure, what is your definition of success? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, obviously – Success is how much you achieve that you set out to achieve. I think, you know, for me, success came when, and again, those, those things always change. So for me, it was like the very first time I was an actor on a commercial when I was 17 years old, I felt like that was success but you build on successes. And so I don't think success is something that I think you reach it in small doses always. And even right now, I mean, I'm on a hit CBS television show, (laughs) you know, well, there's got, there's the next goal. Okay. I want to have my own television show, you know, on a network or on, you know, Netflix or whatever. And then I'm sure there's going to be, I want to be the lead in that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so success builds upon success. And I think that the only way you can really be a success is to truly want to be a success. 
and to do whatever it takes to be a success, as long as you're not hurting anyone to get to that point, which I think, you know, some people think, well, I can just step on anybody I want and get success. But I don't think that happens. I think that if you step on people, that comes back to bite you. Yeah. And it's the direct opposite of being successful. When you're a success, you reach your, your pinnacle of success when you've been able to achieve the dreams that you've been going after on your own and you're not hurting other people to get it. That's, that's success. You ready for a couple rapid-fire questions? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yes. Sure. All right. Favorite cult classic movie? Um, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. Okay. I haven't heard that's that one. Mine. Yet. Well, no, okay, I that's what I'm saying. Mine. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think. Is that like a cult classic though? That's well, I don't, I don't know. know. I'm, I bet you in another ten years it will be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah, I'm ahead of my time. Okay. Okay. Most gifted book. Ooh. Wow. I have to say my year of magical thinking. And when I lost my wife, that was the book that was given to me by my best friend, sent it to me. Um, and since then I've had another friend who lost their spouse and I suggested that to her and now she's reading it. And, you know, that, that, that for me, was a good one. My year of magical thinking. If anybody out there has lost someone they truly love, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, this book is really good. There you go. That's I'll, I'll put a link on the website with that. Great. With that okay. Book. Yeah. Great. If you could make a t-shirt that had a, a, a phrase or a symbol on it that defined who you were, what would be on that t-shirt? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. That's, that's tough. Wow. A symbol? You know, I, I got to get back on that one. I, I don't fine. know. I can't think about that one. Tomorrow morning I wake up and decide that I want to be an actor. What's the one skill set I need to learn today? People skills. Learn to get along with people, every everybody. Learn to get along with people you don't like. Learn to just learn to get along. Um, but people skills, how to talk to people. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing I can tell you because that's really what acting is, is is relating to other people. If you were going to create a T-shirt that had a symbol or a phrase <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> that defined who you were <laughs> or what you believe in, what would be on that t-shirt? Uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're all the time. <laughs> I, Tom, Tom I, this is a podcast. We don't have a time frame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. That's I am fine. lost on that. That's but you realize fine. I'm going to be thinking about that for the next two weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, when you think of it, I don't know. You know, maybe we can do an up. Uh, a, a, when you have your own okay. television show, will you come back on our podcast and and share? Yeah, your and I'll with wear us? that T-shirt when I'm uh, <laughs> on that show. Yeah, yes, I'll wear the T-shirt as well. I expect a free a free uh, T-shirt from this podcast. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, Tom. So they can find you on Scorpion. What date is that? Is that on? 
Monday nights on CBS. Check your local listings for times. Uh, we are in our fourth season, and I uh, really hope everybody will watch. It's a great show. We have a lot of fun, and I hope we're around for many years to come. And do we know what episode you'll be on next? I don't. But, but you're on every um, episode, just not I'm, Yeah, I'm on. Fully. I'm on almost every episode, so in one way or another. Uh, no, probably every other, every two or three episodes uh, I do a stunt on that show. Probably every two episodes. Well, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing some stories with us. Absolutely, buddy. I, I miss you, man. I, I hope I can see you again here soon. I miss you too, and uh, I'll take a trip out to L.A. soon. Sounds great. Sounds great. All right, buddy. Thanks, Take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. All right. That was my interview with Tom Massman. Love that guy. Hope you enjoyed this interview, and I will see you next week.